Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the Cubby's Crib podcast, Climbing the Ivy on the Fan Sided Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, and I will soon be joined by my co-host, Adam McGinnis. On tonight's episode, we will be talking about Justin Grimm being released by the Cubs and being picked up by the Kansas City Royals. Shocker, a lot of Cubs seem to go there. We will also talk a little bit about spring training, and we're closing in on the season. Just one more week to go, plus more fun on the show. So, looks like Adam is here. Adam, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Good, good, good. Okay, so not a lot of news per se. Uh, we'll be doing a bit more analysis on this show. Uh, a lot of guys are being cut who we think are going to be cut. The big league roster, we've said in shows past, there's not a lot of debate of who's going to make the team and who's not. But uh, Justin Grimm, in a little bit of news, was released by the Cubs, and he quickly got picked up by the Kansas City Royals. Uh, this was a move that kind of had the writings on the wall. He was really struggling in spring training. Uh, we said on a previous show that we didn't think he'd make it, and obviously he didn't make it with the Cubs. Uh, what was your initial reaction? I think we all knew this was coming, Justin Grimm being cut. Uh, he's just not had it these past couple of years. Um, and the fact that the Cubs took him to arbitration over, what, a measly $100,000 or so, maybe a little yeah. bit more, probably that was probably the writing on the wall that it wasn't going to last. But, uh, yeah, this is not surprising. Uh, the truth is the Cubs just really didn't need him at this point. The bullpen has improved dramatically so much so that they didn't really need to uh, rely on a comeback from Grimm. Yeah, it wasn't really essential. He was kind of used in mop-up duty last year anyway because of his struggles. It is kind of easy to forget. In 2014-2015, he was really good. Probably his defining moment as a Cub, in my opinion, was Game 4 of the NLDS against the Cardinals. The guys, uh, two guys got on against Jason Hamill, and then they had to pull him. I think it was the third or the fourth inning, one of the two. And Justin Grimm struck out the next three guys to get out of that mess. So I think that was kind of his defining Cub moment in a year where he had a 199 ERA overall. So we wish you luck, Justin. You know, you did some good things here, and we'll always appreciate that. We'll also appreciate probably another great moment of his was when he got a double play in Game 3 of the World Series uh, with the bases loaded and one out. Uh, But good luck in Kansas City. As a lot of Cubs, we wish luck in Kansas City. You pointed that out earlier. Yeah, this whole thing with uh, Cubs coast-offs going to the Royals is kind of funny, isn't it? Um, I love it. It's great. Uh, If you're a Chicago Cubs pitcher and you are washed up and you feel like you've got nothing left in the tank, the numbers just aren't there, you can uh, find comfort uh, knowing that you've got a home on the Kansas City Royals. They'll take you. God bless the Royals. Yeah, because, I mean, last year, 
Jason Hamill is one of those people who went to the Royals, did not go well in 180.1 innings, 529 ERA, fielding independent pitching of 437, a whip of 1.4. If you thought that was bad, Travis Wood going to Kansas City, that was even uglier, unfortunately, because both Wood and Hamill were guys who had pretty successful careers in Chicago. But yeah, last year, 6.91 ERA, a whip of 1.8 in 41.2 innings there because he went to the Padres uh, midseason. But yeah, overall, pretty poor uh, showing from him in Kansas City. Same with Jason Hamill. After having those good years in Chicago, you remember Jason Hamill was involved originally in the Edison-Russell deal, and then he came back for 15-16, was a really good lower-the-end rotation guy. Didn't do anything really in the postseason. I don't think he pitched at all in the 16 postseason, but he still had a pretty solid regular season in 2016 after pitching a little bit in the 2015 postseason and having a solid 2015 regular season as well. But those aren't the only two guys. Don't forget John Jay, former outfielder, also in Kansas City. I thought that was a pretty good move by the Royals. Yeah, I agree. Uh, John Jay has been an underrated player for a while. He was, I think, a lot more valuable with the Cubs than people thought he was going to be. I think he played a lot more than people thought he would. Um, But to go back uh, to the pitchers for just a moment, yeah, we saw with the Royals, Jason Hamill, he did kind of the same thing he did with the Cubs where he had a really good first half of the season and then just kind of fell apart in the second half. Um, I'm not sure what's up with that trend. I hope it doesn't continue. I mean, the Royals are going to need him to be solid for for a, a decent season because, I, to be honest, I see the Royals losing an awful lot of games this year. I just don't think it's going to be pretty. Yeah, even with the addition of John Jay, they're probably not going to win any more, in my opinion, than 67, 68 games. Obviously, their window of contention was small, and it kind of stinks that you see these good Cub players or guys who are at least solid go to the Royals and kind of stink. You want to see them do better because I really liked John Jay. I liked Jason Hamill, too. Um, I know that sometimes he got some heat especially for his second-half statistics because, like you said, we know that they haven't always been pretty. But, you know, overall, I liked him a lot. And his surprising 2014, you know, got us that big trade with Oakland, or at least he was part of it. But, yeah, looking at the splits right now with Jason Hamill, in the second half, the uh, ERA – uh, let me see here. Okay, this is just 2017. I'm trying to look for a career here. Um, but before I actually find it, yeah, it's it was no surprise that he struggled in the second half again because that's typically what he did. Um, yeah, and, you know, for me, what I really hated seeing most was Travis Wood falling apart. I really liked that, that guy. that was a whole season thing, yeah. Yeah, and bad news this year, too, that he uh, tore his ACL. He was with the Tigers this year. Um, This could maybe be the end of his career. I don't know. I hope not. But I always really liked him on the Cubs. He had a a fun personality. uh, He memorable moment playing in the outfield, pitcher in the outfield, good stuff. But, uh, yeah, yeah, unfortunately, it might be the end of the road for Travis Wood. 
Yeah, I was wondering about that recently, too, right after he tore his ACL. I think that he is going to try to get back into the game. I really do, because he's 31 years old. That's not terribly old. But it's going to take a lot to come back from that kind of injury, especially after struggling the way he did in 2017 with the Royals. He'll probably get maybe a minor league deal somewhere when he's ready to come back. That's my guess. Uh, will he be able to make a full-on comeback? You know, that remains to be seen. But yeah, Travis Wood, you look at him as a Cub, 295 ERA in 2016, and those were as relief appearances for the most part. In fact, that was the one year he didn't start any games at all as a Cub. Uh, he had a really good 2013. He was the only all-star on the Cubs that year. In his only year, he reached 200 innings, 311 ERA. And if you remember, he hit that one grand slam against the White Sox. Fun little memory there. But yeah, as far as his future, I really don't know. But I do wish him yeah, the best. I do too. And like you said, yeah, only 31 years old. That's not that old. But um, it, it's kind of different with bullpen guys. You know, with starting pitchers, age is a big deal but with bullpen guys the teams seem to really only care about your resume it's what have you done for me lately and the last couple of years for Travis Wood have not been good yeah I know it's there just really hasn't been much consistency unfortunately like I said he was good in 2016 um, out of the bullpen strictly but he had some years with the Cubs where his ERA was pretty high along with the ones where his ERA was pretty good The last year he had in Kansas City, not so good. So, I don't know. It's hard to see what his future is. But uh, quickly going back to Hamill, I finally found his career splits, and this is from Fangraphs.com. To no surprise, his lowest ERA is in April. And, oh, no, sorry, it's in June. His lowest uh, career ERA is June. It's 354, and then it's 399 in April. And then you go to July. 529 and it's also 534 in September October overall career that's a 409 ERA in the first half and in the second half it's a tick above five at 5.12 so there is quite a difference there first half versus second half Hamill but like you said he's gonna have to bounce back for them also don't forget Jorge Soler was traded there it's not like he signed there obviously it's a little different but there's another former Cub on the Royals. Solar power, baby. Do you think he's going to bounce back this year? I do not. Um, Don't think so? Like, No. Jorge Soler has fallen into the category of I'll believe it when I see it. Um, I loved that guy when he was on the Cubs. I still wish him the best. I always was a big fan of his. But, um, yeah, he just never quite materialized the way people thought he would. And so now I'm at a point where I'm just not going to buy into the hype until I see it. Yeah, I understand that. Unfortunately, the reason is he's been having injury problems since his minor league days. I remember there were times when he was in, like, high A and double A where he was battling leg problems. And that was a bit of a concern. Luckily, the Cubs were so stockpiled with prospects that it didn't really mean much in the long run, team-wise, I should say. Um, but yeah, I mean, last year, he only played in 35 games and batted 144 with a 245 on base, two home runs. This spring training, he does have six long balls and a 339 on base. But 
yeah, I, I kind of with you, and I'll believe it when I see it. I do feel like, though, if he can truly stay healthy, that he will be a good asset for the Royals. Is he going to be a huge on-base guy? No, I don't really think so. He's going to be a power guy. He's going to swing and miss a lot. He's going to hit a lot of hard balls. Uh, Pretty much what he did with the Cubs, because in his first three years in the majors, which were with the Cubs, his on-base percentage was 328, a tick above average, 27 home runs in 211 games. So, yeah, he's got to stay healthy there. But still, wish him the best. 26 years old. Hard to believe he is already 26. But those are really the only ones I could think of right now who are on the Royals. Is there anyone I'm missing? Former Cubs? Oh, man, I don't know. It just feels like all of the uh, the Cubs wash-up players are, are just flowing into the Kansas City Royals. Yeah, it kind of shifts because if you remember just a year or two ago, a lot of Cubs wash-ups were going to the south side. Do you remember that? Yeah, vaguely. Let's see. They got Emilio Bonifacio. They got Giovanni Soto. They got Mike Olt. And there were a bunch of others that, oh, they have Chris Volstad right now. If you remember Chris Volstad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And there were a few other guys on the list, but those are the ones I could think of off the top of my head. But, yeah, it's kind of shifting. It seems like it's the AL Central. First it was the White Sox. Now it's the Royals. But, hey, at least going to those teams doesn't really directly affect you in any way. It's not like they're going to the Cardinals except for Dexter Fowler. That's the one exception. It's not like they're going to the Brewers with exception of Matt Garza. It's mainly going to teams that don't really mean anything to you. Right, right. Okay, so uh, moving on here, uh, I wanted to go more into some spring training stats for current Cubs because we are winding down. We have about really a week. I mean, if you're listening to this tonight, the home opener, or not the home opener, the season opener is literally a week from now. It's on Thursday in the morning, so it's going to be kind of hard to keep track of that if you have a busy day, but... Nevertheless, Cubs baseball is right around the corner. The one thing I wanted to focus mainly on was starting pitching. Starting pitching has looked really dang good. Adam, I don't know if you have the stats in front of you or if you looked at a lot of the stats, but do you have any kind of general feelings on how they've done so far? Uh, They've all looked really good. Um, The one person I am most impressed with so far is Tyler Chatwood. This guy mm-hmm. is the number five in the Cubs rotation, and I think – I've said it before. I think he's as good of a number five as you can get in the league right now. Uh, 3-0, and 2.81 ERA, 1.19 whip uh, in 16 innings pitched, 18 strikeouts, good velocity. I think people are going to be surprised by this guy. And, again, I'm not a big believer that uh, regular season, good or bad, but – I mean, it's not it's not a bad thing to see these guys doing well in spring, especially the pitchers. As long as they look comfortable, that's all that matters to me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's striking out guys more than I thought he would because people have said he's got that elite movement. He just kind of has to locate it. And if he could locate it, that's pretty darn good because they said he's got some of the best spin rates on his curveball. 
uh, the way his fastball moves with the velocity, kind of 93, 94-ish from what I've seen last. And if you could get like elite, as they've called it, movement on it at that velocity located well, then you're going to have a real good number five on your hands. And that's why a lot of people are very optimistic about Chatwood when they got him. Because normally you'd see a guy with a high ERA and be like, oh, what are you signing him for? But this is a guy who has a really good road ERA away from Coors Field. Most baseball fans understand what Coors Field does to a pitcher. And you're also seeing Chatwood get this kind of movement on his pitches in an environment in Arizona where the curveball doesn't always snap the way you want it to or the slider doesn't move vertically the way you want to or all sorts of things. So that's a really good sign. I agree. Tyler Chatwood has put on a really nice showing. We also can't forget the other guys. Jose Quintana, 1.93 ERA um, in 9.1 innings. So that's a good sign too. A whip below one. He's been locating his pitches very well. I got to see him pitch against the Indians. Feeling good about Jose Quintana this year? Oh, Absolutely. One of the most underrated starting pitchers in the league for several years now. I think he was somewhat overshadowed by uh, Chris Sale when he was on the White Sox. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, he had his rough moments with the Cubs last year, but that is kind of typical of a starting pitcher who gets moved to a new team midseason. I think now that he's had time to kind of settle in and get acclimated with his new teammates, new environment, he might... uh, be a little bit more comfortable this time around, uh, starting with one team and going the whole season with them. I think it'll be a different Jose Quintana than we saw in the second half last year. I think people are going to be very impressed, and I think we're going to find out that he's an absolute bargain considering he's the, the three or four guy in a rotation. I mean, he should easily be a number two in most other rotations. And, Keep this in mind. Look at the splits between the White Sox and the Cubs last year. With the White Sox, he was just over 100 innings at 104.1. Last year with the Cubs, 84.1. The fielding independent pitching difference. With the White Sox, it was 402. With the Cubs, it was 3.25. The whip was 1.3 on the south side. With the Cubs, it was 1.1. I mean, that's... The ERAs, uh, you could... Put as much stock as you want in ERA, 449 with the Sox, 374 with the Cubs. So even so, there were some rough moments with the Cubs. Overall, he still did pretty good. Right, yeah. That whip and FIP numbers, those are really good and signs that that's more of the pitcher he is. And I think the ERA is going to come back down to be more in line with what we're used to seeing from him. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's also noteworthy that last year he had a career-high strikeouts per nine innings at nearly 10. It was 9.9, while he averaged around uh, 7.5-ish in his career. Uh, He was usually around mid-sevens. He had eight strikeouts per nine in 2014, but that's where he was. So he ticked it up a notch a little bit there. The guy's typically an ERA around 3.5. And in 2016, when he was an all-star, it was 3.2. The year before that, it was 3.36, pretty much 3.4. So if we get something around 3.2 to 3.5 in about 200 innings this coming year, I think he's going to be in real good shape. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah. That would be phenomenal. Absolutely. 
And then for the other starters, you Darvish pitched today. Again, he looks really good. He leads. Oh, sorry. He's number two in strikeouts. He's one behind Kyle Hendricks. So I'll get to in a minute. So he's got 20. Kyle Hendricks is 21. Darvish's ERA is 2.76. And I've been able to watch his last two spring starts that have been televised. The movement on Darvish's fastball looks good. I don't have a radar gun in front of me, but from what I've seen with the naked eye, plus what statisticians are posting, the velocity looks real good. And I can tell you the location, he's getting ahead of batters and almost every batter he's facing. He's hitting that inside corner with the pitch. He looks really good right now. And when he gets to Chicago in a better environment where he can snap his breaking ball off even a little bit better to complement this great fastball and sinker and everything he throws because he throws pretty much about everything. That's a good sign to see as well. Have you seen any of Darvish's uh, pitching footage? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, That slider too. Nasty stuff, man. 0.86 whip, 20 strikeouts and just over 16 innings pitched. Um, Yeah, Darvish is a guy that I've heard could get even better. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that will be the case. I mean, if we could just get peak Darvish, that would be good enough for me. But uh, I've read too that uh, that his velocity is pretty much exactly what it was earlier in his career, 95-ish. I mean, I read that on the internet, and so it's definitely true. You you have to believe everything you read <laughs> on the internet. Never take it with a grain of salt. But I do believe that. I think that. You know, we've talked about that before since his Tommy John surgery. His velocity really hasn't dropped at all, and that's super encouraging for me. And that's why the whole thing with Arietta was kind of scary is because he's had a lot of miles on in the past few years. He hasn't had Tommy John surgery yet, and the velocity numbers were starting to dip. It's kind of gotten to the point where it's good to have Tommy John because that way you kind of get it out of the way And if you see the numbers getting back to the norm like it is with you, Darvish, that's a lot less concerning than a guy like Arietta who hasn't had it and you see the numbers dropping. Right. And in regard to Arietta, I know a lot of fans are still upset that we couldn't get a deal with Arietta to come back to the Cubs. But the truth is, you, Darvish, is the better pitcher. And I think it worked out well for the Cubs. I know an Arietta reunion would have been nice. But I do believe that you, Darvish, is the better starting pitcher right now. Arietta, despite his all-world 2015 second half, has just kind of been fading a little bit. The numbers were still pretty good, but he's been steadily declining, not the trend you want to see. Um, and I'm not a fan of making moves for nostalgia's sake. I think it needs to make sense from a baseball perspective, and I think that you, Darvish, was the way to go. We've seen Cub teams of the past and other teams in Chicago sports make those kind of nostalgic moves, and you've seen it backfire on you. So I'm with you on that. The fact that their main concern is maximizing their chances at winning a World Series right now because they are in the prime window of contention. Doing that is what you need to do. I completely agree with what you just said. I think you said it perfectly. So, yeah. Darvish is looking real good. Chatwood Quintana. Now I want to get to Kyle Hendricks. This guy has pitched 15 innings so far. He has not walked a single batter, and he leads the team in strikeouts with 21 and has given up five earned runs. That's a three ERA. 
Pretty cool, huh? I think that's good, yeah. Maybe just a little. Yeah, I've had a chance to watch a little bit of Kyle Hendricks this spring, and his his curveball has looked really good. Yes, um, it has. I'm not sure what velocity is right now. I know there was uh, some concerns with a little bit of velocity drop last year, but to be honest, I'm not that worried about it because Kyle Hendricks is not a speedball pitcher. He doesn't really rely on a on a heater fastball. I'm mostly concerned with his command, and from what I've seen this spring, his command looks really good. I mean, it's as pinpoint as you can get from what I've watched. Because I've watched, I think it was either one or two games. I know I definitely watched the one where he started against the White Sox, because that was on TV like two weekends ago. I may have seen another one, but that's one I know that I saw. And he looked like the Kyle Hendricks locating everything, pinpointing everything. They didn't have the radar gun available, but again, like you said, he's the guy I'm not concerned about when it comes to velocity. With guys like Darvish, you are. With guys like Arietta, you are, because they're power pitchers. But with guys like Kyle Hendricks, who have always used their stuff as controlling and location, that is not as big of a deal. Go back and watch him dominate the Dodgers in the 2016 NLCS, or just watch any one of his good starts you see that he just uses the location and the movement to get outs, whether it's a weak right. round ball, a pop-up, a strikeout. He's continuing that, and if he's continuing it now, like you said, you don't always take a lot of stock in spring training stats, but these are just pure good signs, not as much statistically, just of what he's doing. Yeah, um, I don't know if this prediction is bold or not, but I think Kyle Hendricks of the five starters of the five primary starters is going to finish with the lowest ERA of all of you them. You know what? I agree. I'm, I agree. I'm really excited to see him this regular season. Um, I wish he was pitching on opening day. I know it's someone at you Darvish too, but it's going to be Lester. It's a respect thing. He's a veteran guy. He's got the resume, but, uh, yeah, if you can't uh, if you can't watch the first opening day, quit your job. It's worth it. Trust me. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be a lot of fun. Lastly, in the rotation, you have John Lester. I don't think there's really much detail to go in with him. 16 innings, 2.81 ERA. John Lester is John Lester. He struggled last year, but I think he's going to come back and be John Lester again. I'm still somewhat convinced he was injured during a lot of that season or not at least 100% healthy. I'm not worried about him. Are you worried about him? No, I'm not. And to tell you the truth, I don't think he needs to be peak John Lester this year for the Cubs to be good. This rotation, I think, is better than what they had in 2016. At least it has the potential to be better. And so they don't need John Lester to necessarily be an all-star Cy Young caliber pitcher again. If he's in the ballpark of 3-5, 3-8, maybe even a little lower than that, I think that's probably good enough. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. I mean, I want him to be good. I think it's it's important that he's at least solid. But yeah, he doesn't have to be like he was in 2016 or 2014 because those were really good years. As long as he's solid, if if he gives me a 3-6 ERA, I should say 3.6, so you know what I mean, not a 36 ERA, but a, a 3.6, if he, if he gives me something around there, I think that'll be fine. doesn't have to oh, be yeah. amazing, but you want him to at least be solid. 
Oh, yeah, and don't get me wrong. I I do think he could be much better than that. I do think he could be ace John Lester again. I just don't think the Cubs need him to be. Yeah, no, I get that because you have Darvish, you have Hendricks, you have Quintana, you have Chatwood. That's the nice thing about this rotation. It's so talented from top to bottom that if somebody falls down momentarily, then someone can pick him right back up. So that's kind of a nice thing to have. You're not, you're not like, say, oh, what's a good example? The Washington Nationals are somewhat of an example because you have probably the best one-two in baseball in Scherzer and Strasburg. But after that, it's like, okay, you have Gio Gonzalez, who's either really good or really bad. Then you have Tanner Roark, and then you have who knows what below that. So it's nice and evened out. Yeah, uh, is pretty good the last few years. Um, I think he'll be decent enough this year, but the Nationals are just a talented club. That lineup is really good, and yeah, like you said, Scherzer, Strasburg, that's as good a one-two punch as there is, maybe ever. It's just electric. Well, you know what's funny about Gonzalez? Last year he had a 2.96 ERA. You know what he had the year before that? What's that? 4.57. The FIP wasn't as bad. It was 3.76, but there were still some struggling moments in there. Um, overall, he's a really good pitcher, but even so, if you have someone who's inconsistent at times, especially in the postseason, that does worry you. But, yeah, I mean, you pretty much get my point. It's it's really balanced, and you don't want it just to be top-heavy. Right, right. Okay, so um, moving on here, we have a little bit of a fun game to play. It's over-under. Basically, what Adam and I are going to do is we're going to ask each other back and forth and over-under what one player or the team in general is going to do with a certain stat. So, now, I'll just go first to give you kind of the example. I'm sure you probably know what over-under is. But anyway, um, I'll start first asking you, 230 strikeouts for Darvish, over or under? I'm going to take the under on that one. I think he'll get close. I could see him floating around 189, 190 in that range. I don't think he's quite going to get that. I know he's a strikeout guy, but this is a new team. I think it's going to take him a while to get uh, a groove going. So I think he'll be close, but not quite to 230. Okay, fair enough. All right, so what I've got for you, number of Cubs with more than 30 homers this year, and your number is three. I'm going to go over. Who because you got? right now, I think Rizzo, Bryant, Contreras, Schwarber, Hap, I think those five can hit 30 or more. I agree with you. I've said the same thing before. You know, Bryant and Rizzo are probably a lock to eclipse 30. Oh, for uh, sure. Ian Hap, hit, Ian Hap hit 24 home runs in just 115 games last year. So if mm-hmm. he's a regular this year, he's going to hit more than 30. And think about the power that Contreras showed last year, and he missed a lot of time with the uh, the hamstring issue. Right. Okay, so next, a 340 on-base percentage for Russell, over or under? Under. Um, 
Russell's another guy that I'm going to believe it when I see it. Um, he just hasn't turned into the hitter that we thought he was going to be. I know he's still really young, but we just haven't seen it. See, here's the problem. I didn't expect him to be a 300 hitter when he first came into the league you know, straight away, but we really haven't seen much progress from him. He's kind of been the same player every year, and so until he shows me that he can do otherwise, I'm just not going to expect it. Okay, that's fair. I'm going to say around that because even though, yeah, he's been here for some time and you're looking for a bit more progress, I just see so much talent in that bat. I just think it's going to come around eventually, and hopefully it will this year. All right, what's next for you? All right, we've got the incarnation of Babe, reincarnation rather, of Babe Ruth next. Kyle Schwarber, batting average, over or under 255. Hmm, good question. I'm going to say slightly under, and it's going to be around 250. I think that his on-base will be a lot better. I think you could see an on-base from him like maybe 345, 350, because he does have a good eye at the plate. And I think he's going to mash this year, but he's never really, to me, going to be a guy who's going to bat over 250. Um, A, because he will strike out a lot no matter what, and B, the way they play shift on him, that's going to take away a lot of hits. You saw it last year, and you're probably going to see it again. You read my mind. I agree completely. All right, cool. All right, next, we're going to go to the former MVP and the beautiful man, Chris Bryant. 35 home runs, over, under. Give me the over. Chris Bryant, I think he's going to be an MVP candidate again. I think he's going to hit 300. He's going to get on base at a clip of over 400. And I'm going to say he's hitting 43 home runs this year. It's funny. I have him at 42. Pretty close. I one-upped you. Mm, Look at that. (laughs) Okay, for you, I've got number of Cubs starters who finish with an ERA under 3.4. We're going to set it at 3. I'm going to take it, like, right at three. I think it's going to be three. Oh, now, see, that's cheating. That's cheating. How's it cheating? I mean, you can do that. I, I, I accept that rule. Hey, come on. It's, it's over, under, not even. Okay, fine. Um, Tell you if what. If I had I'll, to go I'll over... It, I'll, I'll set it at three and a half, and we'll accept your answer of three. Because okay, I'm on board so... with you, and I, I think three is probably likely okay okay that's fair that's fair we'll have to establish the rules for our games better from now on yeah we came into this a little bit unprepared but that's kind of the beauty of it isn't it yeah from now on when we play games we'll establish the rules we'll even make a rule book okay okay so next 200 innings for john lester over under Whew. see that's kind of a tough one um it is Mm. I'm unfortunately going to take the under on this. He's getting he's getting a little older. He's had some minor health concerns in the past. Um, he might have some sort of small injury come up. I don't know. Or they could just choose to rest him occasionally. They've got the guy like Mike Montgomery who can slot in there and start when you need him to. 
I think he'll get close, though. If I had to guess, I'd say he'll finish with 190, maybe a little more. But again, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he went over 200 innings. Yeah, I think I'm going to take slightly under as well, maybe around 190-ish. He'll get close, but for what the reasons you said, I, I could see exactly why it would be a little under. So I agree with you. Okay, for you, I've got number of Cubs hitters who bat over 280 this year will go four. Over 280. Okay, yes. let's see. And you said four. Hmm. And I take it this means like qualifiers, not like bench guys like Listella, right? Right. We're talking more than five at bats. No uh, bottom feeding bench warmers here. Okay, okay. Uh, that is a tough one. You said four, right? Yes. Hmm. I'm going to take under because here's the thing. They're going to be getting on base, and they're going to be crushing the ball. But with all that, they're not high batting average hitters for the most part. I think that you're going to see – Bryant and Rizzo be above that mark uh, because they're every day. You're not going to see Schwarber. You may see Wilson Gutierrez either there or right below it. Albert Almora, same thing. Um, I really don't have any faith right now. Jason Hayward will. So I'm going to take under, and this isn't me saying they're not going to be good hitters because, like I said, the on-base percentages are going to be really high. It's just when I look at this Cubs team and the way I've looked at them the past few years, batting average is kind of an afterthought. So even if you look last year, they didn't have really 300 hitters on their squad, but they still scored like the most runs in the National League. So I'm just going to take under. I agree. I want to be optimistic on that one, but I think what you've said is probably more realistic. Yeah, you'll see 350-plus on-base percentages and 260, 280 averages, I'd say. All right, what have you got for me? All right, last one for you. 30 saves for Brandon Morrow. Over, under? Under. Uh, Maybe he'll get close to that. I'm not convinced he's going to be the closer all year. Have we heard anything? I don't know if it's confirmed or not. I know he's listed as their closer on the depth chart, but with Joe Madden, I just have this sneaking suspicion that he's going to tinker around with different options. And so I don't know that he'll quite get there. Even if he is the closer all year, I'm not sure he would get over 30 saves. I still think he'll be good. He's looked good. I am exactly there with you, man. I think you're going to see a stretch where Steve Ciszek get kind of the closer role. Morrow's going to be the main guy, but I think they'll be, like you said, tinkering around is probably the right word because Brandon Morrow, he's got closer stuff. He's slated as the closer. It's not like last year where Wade Davis was the closer. No ifs, ands, or buts. He was a natural closer, probably the most reliable closer in baseball coming in. It's a little different this year. You added more depth to this bullpen, so you might see a little bit of tinkering or just kind of being like, okay, Morrow closed. You could have c go today if he's not available 
or even like Pedro Strope or Carl Edwards. There's multiple guys on the squad now that either have been closers or have the potential to be closers. Uh, That's the one thing that I will miss from last year is having a guy like Wade Davis, but I'm with you on that. I think Morrow will save maybe the 20-ish games, and you'll see C-Sheck rack up a few, and then maybe Edwards rack up a few. All right, last one for tonight for you. All right. Number, number of weeks before hordes of ravenous Twitter trolls demand Joe Madden be fired, and we'll set it at two. Oh, under. They'll lose a game. Who? <laughs> I would take the under if it Marlin. was two days. If it was two days? Yeah, um, I would still be taking the under. Because oh, that's too. just the nature of Twitter. Yeah, it really is. Oh, I mean, can you imagine if the Cubs lose the opening game to the Marlins, not only some Cub fans, but what other non-Cubs fans are going to be saying, eh, I just I don't want to deal with that. That's why I hope they just go in Miami. They take three out of four. I'll be happy. Fair enough. Yep. Well, that's it for me when it comes to my questions for you. And I think you said that was your last one. We have about three minutes left in the show. Oh, boy. So let's get to it. The hot takes from Adam. The floor is yours. I just want to clear up a, a debate that's been ongoing now. And Anthony Rizzo raised the question again last year on Twitter. Is a hot dog a sandwich? And the answer is no, but it's not quite that simple. If you've got meat in between a floury layer folded over itself and the meat, what do you have? A taco. You've got a taco. That's right. A hot dog is technically classified as a taco. And James Madison originally intended to put this in the Constitution, but I think he ran out of paper before the deadline, so he just said screw it. Uh, Bear in mind, this is a technicality. It's kind of like how a tomato is actually a fruit, right? But we don't consider it to be. It's not sweet because unlike men, unfortunately, all fruit are not created equal. So, yeah, even though you might not consider it to be a taco, that's technically what it's classified as. Case closed. I'm terrified because I agree with everything you said. And here's the other thing. If you say, oh, look, a hot dog. You could be just talking about the hot dog with no bun. It's still a hot dog. You know, there's no bread around it. It's a hot dog. The sausage is a hot dog. A Polish sausage is a Polish sausage. No matter if it's in a bun or outside a bun. Italian sausage, same thing. Greek sausage, the same thing. I mean, it just, you can't just say, is a hot dog a sandwich and say yes and assume that it's in between bread because it's not always in between bread. It's, it's clearly not. See, but yeah, I, mean, I don't make the rules. I'm just reading them. I mean, yeah, you have to break it down scientifically. You got to break it down in different scenarios. And like what you said, by definition, when I think of a sandwich, I think here's the bottom half of a bread or just a piece of bread, whatever. Then you put meat or cheese or some kind of substance. And then you intend to enclose that substance you put on the bread with another piece of bread, two different slices of bread. That to me is a sandwich. Yes, hot dog, not a sandwich. It's a taco. And like I said, it was going to be in the Constitution. It didn't quite make it. Don't fact check me on that. 
you're probably not going to find anything. I have access to to records that no one else does. You're just going to have to roll with me on that and believe me. That's a terrifying thought, but yeah, I mean, what can you do about that? Oh, I'm glad we uh, got that out of the way. I am too. And with the that, world can rest easy now. The 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 great question has been answered. Yes, and we'll have more great questions in the future. Well, guys, I think that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Cubby's Crib Podcast. Adam, as always, thanks for being here. Stay classy, Chicago. And you as well. Everyone have a good night, and we will talk to you next week right before the season opener. <laughs>